Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. It's been 3,263 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 344 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess there is an increased probability that Ukrainian forces will launch a significant military operation within the next 72 hours due to President Volodymyr Zelensky holding a closed-door meeting with the Supreme Commander-in-Chief with a subset of military intelligence and security leaders. Second, we maintain that the battle for control of Bakhmut has reached a critical phase with the addition of Russian forces to the Axis and the ongoing attempt to create a technical encirclement. Third, we concur with recent assessments by other analysts that it is highly likely the Russian Federation will launch a new offensive before February 24th to try and deliver a tactical victory before the anniversary of the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine. Fourth, We maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Fifth, the RAND Corporation agreed with our assessment that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, while we do maintain the exception for the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Sixth, We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and is relying on World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Seventh, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin is continuing with Russian President Vladimir Putin benefiting from the political distraction. Eighth, we assess that Russia is preparing to launch another punitive missile strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure due to the ongoing rotation of ships in the Black Sea Fleet and a significant increase in reconnaissance drone activity over Kherson and Mykolaiv. Ninth, We maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Eleventh, 
We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Twelfth, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible, despite contrary claims from Ukrainian and Polish officials. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. There continues to be no indication of a large-scale Russian offensive in the Kremina operational area. Artillery activity has increased, and there was another missile strike on Kramatorsk, but it remains unclear if this is punitive targeting of civilians or meant to disrupt logistics and ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, to Siversk, Bakhmut, or both. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a Russian attack on Novoselivsk was repulsed. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian positions were shelled. In the Kremina operational direction, Ukrainian forces repelled attacks in the areas of Ploshanka, Nevsky, and Chervonopopivka. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting in the forested areas near Dibrova and Kuzmine. While operational tempo increased, it has not reached the level to support the predictions of a, quote, major Russian offensive. We did not update the map, despite multiple reports of fighting in the area of Kuzmine, as we maintain our assessment that territorial control is very fluid in the Serebriansky woods and changes multiple times a day. There were false reports started by Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, officials that Ukrainian forces were forced to withdraw from Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack was successfully repulsed, and mercenaries with Wargonzo denied the LNR claim, writing, quote, In the Luhansk direction, the same fate befell the offensive operations near Bilohorivka. It didn't succeed. End quote. In northeast Donetsk, Rybar's claims that Russian forces had almost reached Yampolivka was just a repackaging of Russian mill blogger Visoki Govoret's claims from February 1st. There is exactly no evidence that the Russian 144th Guards Motor Rifle Division advanced up to 7.5 kilometers between January 31st and February 1st. In the Siversk operational area, Russian and Ukrainian forces were pushing and pulling. Russian forces again tried to advance on Spirna, with Wargonzo taking a glum tone declaring, quote, weakness has not yet been found, end quote. Based on the repeated reports of Russian failures in this area, we did terrain analysis, moved the line of conflict to the east, and reduced the gray area to only the easternmost section of the settlement. This does not represent new territorial gains. Further south, the GSAFU reported a Russian attempt to advance from the western edges of Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, was unsuccessful. In the Solidar operational area, composite forces from PMC Wagner and Russia 
attempted to advance toward Vasyukivka from Sakui Venceti, while PMZ Wagner captured the hamlet of Mykolaivka. Ukrainian forces continue to effectively defend Krasnohora from attacks by PMC Wagner and Russian forces attempting to advance south from Blachodatne and to the west from Pithorodne in the direction of Paraskovivka. Semyon Pegov of Vorgonzo must have been depressed today, expressing frustration at the lack of progress toward Krasnohora, declaring, quote, Here the armed forces of Ukraine are quite successfully defending themselves. End quote. Based on recent reports, we did a terrain analysis and pulled back the line of conflict, which we had to the eastern edge of the settlement. We find it unlikely that Ukrainian forces would be able to hold the town this long doing house-to-house fighting. While the line is further east than many other war maps, we find it equally unlikely that PMC Wagner units are just sitting in open fields. In the Bakhmut operational area, fighting continued on the city's northern, northeastern, and southern edges. Ukrainian forces continued to hold defensive lines east of Paraskovivka, with Wargonzo indicating that weaknesses had not been found here either. On the southern edge of Bakhmut, a Ukrainian source reported that Russian troops had established positions in the city. A geolocated video showed that we had already assessed the area as being on the line of conflict, eliminating the need to update the map. Rybar did not mention the meatpacking or champagne factories, and we saw no claims of Russian capture or Ukrainian forces pushing Russian troops back. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed a significant thermal anomaly in the city center in the vicinity of the Department of Youth Policy and Children's Affairs Building. Some assessment here. Apartment buildings and businesses surround the area, with Russian troops repeatedly complaining about insufficient artillery support We don't understand why the Russian Federation continues to waste military resources on civilian targets beyond genocidal intent. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, PMC Wagner target, and failed Mobik Igor Girkin Strelkov was back in Doomer mode, saying, I'm not even sure that Bakhmut will be captured in the near future. And if it is, then it means that the armed forces of Ukraine will sacrifice it in the same way they sacrificed, for the sake of gaining time and preserving shock reserves, Severodonetsk and Lysychansk. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, the situation was unchanged. The most intense fighting in Ukraine continues to be west and north of Klishivka. PMC Wagner's social media channels shared an update reporting that the Ukrainian T-504 highway G-lock has not been severed and is not under Russian fire control. More assessment. While this is the first positive report for Ukrainian forces in the Bakhmut operational area since mid-January and PMC Wagner's role is diminished after the heavy losses suffered capturing Solidar, additional Russian forces continue to be added to the offensive effort. The situation remains very difficult, even though it has stabilized over the last 72 hours. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, only light positional fighting occurred in Opitne, the one by the Donetsk International Airport, and Vodyana. 
In the Marinka operational area, only War Gonzo reported continued fighting in the city, stating, quote, ongoing battles in the city limits, end quote. Pablo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, said there was only isolated shelling. Some assessment here. We believe Wargonzo is attempting to find an off-ramp after repeated claims that 85% of the settlement was under Russian control. Yesterday, several Ukrainian and Russian sources went out of their way to declare there was no fighting in Marinka. In the Ukhladar operational direction, the Russian offensive toward the city remains stalled. Ukrainian mill blogger and military reserve officer Tatarigami reported that there continued to be numerous small attacks during the daytime with no progress achieved. Ukrainian military expert Oleksandr Kovalenko reported that members of Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu's private military company Patriot were in the area but had not participated in any fighting. We agree with Tatarigami's assessment that Shoigu's PMC was moved into the area as a planned propaganda photo opportunity after Uhledar was captured to further tarnish Yevgeny Prigozhin's image. Pro-Ukrainian mill blogger Tom Cooper wrote a detailed analysis of the failed Russian offensive, which started setting conditions on January 24th. There are estimates that the Russian 155th Naval Infantry Brigade suffered 200 to 230 killed in action, that's KIA. The estimated wounded then would be an additional 500 to 575, making losses almost as bad as the attack on Pavlivka in the fall. The British Ministry of Defense Defense Intelligence Directorate believes that Russian forces will launch another large offensive. Cooper claims that the Russian Mobiks move from Mariupol to Volnavacha were attacked by rockets fired by HIMARS on the same day they arrived, January 28th, which is why the current offensive fizzled out on January 31st. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, insurgents reported several explosions rocked the Ilyich Ironworks area. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Juliapola operational area, the Russian MOD claimed Russian troops attacked Poltavka. Rybar made a generic claim of Ukrainian and Russian DRG and reconnaissance units operating in parts of Zaporizhia, adding some credibility to the Russian MOD report. The oil and fuel storage tanks in Russian-occupied Novobohdanivka were reportedly hit by rockets fired by HIMARS and burned for hours after the attack. Russian state media agency TASS reported that a car bomb planted by insurgents exploded in Enerkhodar, killing a police officer. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Black Sea fleet had 10 ships on patrol, including one missile carrier capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. The rotation of missile carriers probably means reloading activity is occurring at Sevastopol. However, Sea conditions were bad in the eastern Black Sea, 
and the reduction of Black Sea ships on patrol could be weather-related. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces continued mutual shelling across the Dnipro River. Russian forces executed 65 fire missions on Free Ukraine, targeting the city of Kherson 13 times, causing 11 casualties. Kolmishani was repeatedly shelled, killing two people and wounding five. In Kherson, Russians intentionally targeted the epicenter shopping mall and attacked residential areas. The complex is massive and would be equivalent to Home Depot, Costco, Ikea, and the largest grocery store you've ever been in, combined. A fire erupted after the shelling, causing fireworks in one of the stores to detonate. No, we're not in denial that ammunition was at the mall. Watch the videos. We do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. They're fireworks. Quick sidebar. You may be asking yourself, is this the third time that Russian artillery has hit an area where conventional fireworks are stored? Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's... that's... yes. And we're a bit mystified about why stores with fireworks are now targeted. We do have a working theory, but we are not ready to share. Russian forces also shelled the Bereslav Rayon. In north and northeast Ukraine, the border areas of Sumy were hit by 120 mortar and artillery shells, striking the Hromadas of Shalahin, Esmen, Bilopilia, and Seredina Buda. There were no injuries or significant damage reported. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held a meeting of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, first with his full military, intelligence, and security staff, and then a closed-door meeting with a smaller group of leaders. In his evening address, Zelensky said, quote, I held a staff meeting today for the first time in a dual format. First, we discussed the situation on the contact line, Russia's attempts to increase pressure in the Donbass, and supplying the army. Also discussed was training personnel and other issues that are in constant attention of the staff. And then, in the afternoon, an additional meeting of the staff members in a reduced format for a particularly important conversation. End quote. Publicly announced closed-door meetings of the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief are pretty unusual, and did occur two to three days before the Kharkiv and the Kherson counteroffensives. On the same day, failed Mobik Strelkov claimed that a large Ukrainian offensive was coming and Russian forces were unprepared, saying, quote, To organize a strategic victory over the armed forces of Ukraine, the leadership of the Russian Federation is currently doing nothing, while the enemy is openly and stubbornly preparing to inflict new, strong blows on us soon. End quote. He adds that even if Russian forces are successful against the next Ukrainian counteroffensive, it will only be a, quote, short respite for the armed forces of Ukraine in case they fail. I hope to be wrong, but the information that I have at my disposal does not cause optimism. End quote. Okay, well, now I'm intrigued. What, what information do you have at your disposal? Russian President Vladimir Putin reportedly put Valery Gerasimov on an unrealistic timetable. Surprise! Ordering the rest of Luhansk and Donetsk to be captured by March. 
While the main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, has made similar claims, command generals in the Russian Federation have been fired after missing other alleged deadlines. Lapin reportedly received the same order with a September 15, 2022 deadline and was dismissed on October 8. Sodovyakin reportedly also received the same order with a December 31, 2022 deadline and was demoted on January 11, 2023. Anti-corruption-related arrests, firings, and investigations of business leaders and government officials are continuing at a rapid pace in Ukraine. There are so many reports that we cannot possibly share them all. If you read the full situation report on Patreon, check out the video of the equivalent of $1 million in cash hidden in the home of former Deputy Minister of Defense Oleksandr Mironyuk. Belarusian officials claimed that the joint air force exercises with the Russian Federation have ended and Russian aircraft have returned to their home bases. The GSAFU said the claim was a lie and the Russian warplanes remained at Belarusian airfields. Ukrainian Minister of Defense Alexei Reznikov said Kyiv was prepared to give security guarantees that, if provided so-called long-range missiles, Ukraine will not use them to attack the territory of Russia. That's old-school pre-2014 Russia. Reznikov then threw some snark at the Kremlin, adding, quote, the armed forces have enough targets in the temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine. End quote. Quick note here. Ballistic missiles that can only strike targets less than a thousand kilometers away are considered short-range, while cruise missiles with a range between 300 and 500 kilometers are considered short-range. While many refer to Atakums as a long-range missile, it is still considered short-range in military terms. Politico and CNN reported that the United States could allow other nations to transfer F-16 fighter planes to Ukraine, but it was unlikely Washington, D.C. would provide them directly. French President Emmanuel Macron reversed course and said he would instruct his Ministry of Defense to work out the issues of supplying Leclerc main battle tanks, or MBTs, to Ukraine. In our assessment, France may need to step in to fill in the gap created by Spain after discovering that only six Leopard 2A4s could be made combat-ready. Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tajani said that the SAMP-T anti-aircraft missile complex that Italy and France have agreed to provide could be ready for deployment within the, quote, next two months. It is expected that the European Union will announce today that the economic bloc will double the number of Ukrainian troops receiving military training, with plans to support 30,000 recruits in 2023. Speaking of blocs, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Do you remember yesterday when we talked about PMC Wagner Group leader Prigozhin sending a letter to Vasily Piskarev, chairman of the Committee of the State Duma of the Federal Assembly of the Russian Federation, asking to prohibit government officials from international travel and to open up sweeping corruption probes? Well, guess what? Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said, quote, The initiative is not being discussed in the Kremlin. End quote. We are confident that that is a lie, and Prigozhin's letter was almost certainly discussed using numerous swear words between fits of derisive laughter. The truth matters. 
Russia released a video of its latest Wunderwaffe, tracked battle robots meant to hunt down and destroy NATO-provided tanks. Videos showed a robot moving into a warehouse, and Russia claimed they were already in the Donbass. You know where this is going. Geolocation of the video showed that the robot is actually in the Russian city of Tagonrog, which, to be fair, was part of Ukraine until 1924. The GSAFU reported that an undersized battalion of 300 Russian contract soldiers couldn't leave Ukraine because of the current Kremlin stop-loss order. The soldiers' problem is multifold. Because their contract has ended, they're not getting pay, housing, food, or other assistance. Pro tip, guys, roof, heat, medical care, and food if you surrender. The GSAFU also reported that Russian mobilization efforts were occurring in occupied Donetsk, with all public sector organizations in Khorlivka ordered to submit lists of persons eligible for mobilization to the commissariat. In the city of Luhansk, advertisements are running on social networks looking to hire morgue workers. That's workers in a morgue. Job opportunities include porters and cleaners for full-time and weekend work. No experience is required, and the first day is probationary. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, including references to sexual violence against children. If you are sensitive to frank descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Ads are starting to appear on social media offering child pornography using kidnapped Ukrainian children. One ad offered videos of a sexual nature with a boy who appeared to be less than six years old for $3,500. When the investigators corresponded with the handler, they said the available children, quote, are from Ukraine and have no relatives, end quote. Donetsk Oblast Governor Kirilenko reported that two Russian missiles struck Kramatorsk for the second time in less than 24 hours. Thirteen two-story apartment buildings, a children's medical clinic, a school, and a parking garage were damaged. Five people were injured. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen announced during a press conference with President Zelensky that the European Commission will transfer an additional 2,400 generators to Ukraine. Ukrainian Colonel Oleksiy Dmitryshkivsky reported that 10 Marines with the Russian 155th Naval Infantry Brigade were taken prisoner near Ukhledar and have been tentatively identified as being involved in the March 2022 atrocities in Bucha and Irpin. In geopolitical news, the Washington Post claimed that United States Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, Director William Burns secretly traveled to Moscow in January after meeting with President Zelensky in Kiev, attempting to broker a peace deal. Burns, allegedly speaking on behalf of United States President Joe Biden, proposed Ukraine surrender 20% of its territory to end the war with both Moscow and Kyiv refusing the deal. The Post added that the roadblock to providing Ukraine with main battle tanks dissolved when the negotiations failed. Washington has denied the claim. 
The European Union Parliament adopted a resolution to start the work on Ukraine's accession to the EU. The Austrian Minister of Foreign Affairs named four Russian diplomats as persona non grata, ejecting them from Vienna. Deputy Foreign Minister of the Russian Federation, Yevgeny Ivanov, told the Russian state media agency TASS that Moscow was working on a response. The president of Serbia, Alexander Vucic, said his nation would not join and would maintain a policy of neutrality. The United States joined Ukraine, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia in calling for the non-admission of athletes from Russia and Belarus to the 2024 Olympics. In economic news, the EU Council released another 500 million euros of economic aid and 45 million euros for military assistance to Ukraine. Foreign Minister Dimitro Kuleba said he was grateful for the support from the EU. Yunis Garstora, Prime Minister of Norway, pledged to increase Ukraine's financial assistance in 2023, saying, quote, Last year we provided Ukraine with more than 10 billion kroner for civil and military support. We will make an even greater contribution to the repair and reconstruction of the damaged infrastructure. End quote. The ruble was extremely volatile, swinging from an exchange rate of 70 to 75 for one U.S. dollar in today's session, indicating that an entity is dumping the Russian currency. Western oil prices continued downward, with WTI crude falling to $76 a barrel and Brent dropping to $82. Russian euros crude dropped to an official price of $54 a barrel. The United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market dropped, hitting $2.44 a gallon or $0.65 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed slightly, with March 2023 rising to €58 Euros per megawatt hour and April 2023 futures at 59 Chicago SRW wheat futures declined to $7.57 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.